questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Tonight's interview will challenge our preconceived ideas about time and will serve as a roadmap for manifesting our desires quickly. Although time is an illusion from the spiritual perspective, it affects almost every aspect of our physical lives. Our special guest will show us how we can free ourselves from time constraints with meditation, breathwork, past life regression, visualization, and more. It's tempting to blame other people or circumstances when things in our life become stagnant. Yet, we are always the cause that determines how fast or slow things happen. Get ready to learn an effective way to speed up time by changing our vibration. There's nothing worse than getting stuck in a lesson that slows us down. We'll share techniques that will help us master lessons and avoid common time traps so we can continue moving forward. Let's take a deep dive into our soul's plan for unfoldment with astrology and numerology. These intuitive tools will allow us to take advantage of future possibilities and plan important events. We'll also discover our inner clock, known as intuition. This powerful sixth sense will always guide us towards our life purpose and help us avoid detours along the way. Get ready to save time and energy while having more fun on our life journey. You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time listening, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Subscribe with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focus Life Force Energy. Get a 15-day free trial of FLFE today. We also have rebounders, pure organic sulfur, flash drives with all our Veritas and Sanitas seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrick. Catherine Andrews has been teaching self-development techniques and coaching individuals to discover their passion and purpose in life for over 20 years. She is the co-founder of Intuitive School, which offers a variety of metaphysical classes and readings. She and her husband, Patrick, are the hosts of Spirit's Journey Radio, where they offer spiritual solutions for everyday living. After obtaining a Bachelor of Arts degree from the University of Michigan, Catherine didn't feel it would help her fulfill her true purpose in life. This led her to study holistic health at Body Mind College in California and later went on to complete extensive studies in the intuitive arts at the Berkeley Psychic Institute, the School of Metaphysics, and the American Federation of Astrologers. Catherine has authored five other books on the topics of life purpose, relationships, dreams, and visualization. Her latest book is titled Time, the Second Secret, and her website is intuitiveschool.com. And directly from Shawnee, Kansas, I would like to introduce for the first time on Veritas, Catherine Andres. Hello, Catherine, and welcome to Veritas. How are you? Hello, Mel. I'm, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you on, too, because, you know, we are going through some tumultuous times right now, and I wanted to bring people in on also to discuss personal development, spiritual development. And after reading your book, I think you hit the nails right on the head. So why don't we begin by asking you this question? Why the title, Time the Second Secret, which begs 
the question, what is the first secret to? <laughs> Great question. Yeah. So years ago, uh, the big movie came out called The Secret which was about visualization. It was great, gave a lot of great information, helped a lot of people understand visualization. However, uh, you know, after 20 plus years teaching metaphysics, I can't tell you how many times students would say, well, I've been visualizing this and it's just not happening. And so I realized there is a huge factor, which is the timing factor, which also has to be understood when we're looking at the whole idea of visualization. And so I really think that it's the missing ingredient, the second secret to visualization, which is the first one. You said something in the book that to some may sound counterintuitive, but then I stopped and thought about it and, and made sense. You caution everyone to slow down and this will actually help us manifest more quickly. Can you explain? Yeah, right. Uh, slow is the new fast, which sounds like a total contradiction. Um, so basically, when, when we try to rush uh, usually what happens is we cannot hear the subconscious, the intuition, whatever you want to call it, right? And the intuition usually ends up saving us so much time by guiding us in particular directions and avenues that are the quickest route. So when we rush, we can't hear those messages. That's reason number one, which is probably the biggest reason. Um, the second reason is when you rush, we we tend to get caught up in thinking that time is a limitation, that it's a deadline, and then we get sucked into the conscious mind, which is all thinking about only the physical world. Got to get it done by such and such a date. Well, that knocks out the whole expansive subconscious mind, which sees the bigger picture and allows us to see things in a different light. Um, so that's another reason. The third one is we don't prepare when we get into that fast mode, got to rush. We try to cut corners thinking we're going to get further ahead. If we do that, for example, um, let's suppose I want to sell my house and I hear, oh my gosh, it's a hot, hot market right now. I got to get my house on the market ASAP. So I don't really prepare the house, but I get it on the market real quick. And then it sits there. It doesn't sell because I didn't do the preparation necessary to slow down, make sure everything in the house was looking good, and then put it on the market. So I, I, have, I have a direct experience with that. I was uh, trying to sell this uh, rehab property that we had, and I fixed up the inside, but I thought, oh, yeah, I thought the outside looked okay, and I just wanted to sell it before winter. So I put it on the market too soon, and we had so many people come look at it, not one offer for like two months. Finally, my husband said, you know, we, we got to fix up the outside. That's what's killing us. So I said, oh, all right. We took it off the market, spent a couple weeks fixing up the outside, put it back on the market. Within one week, it sold. So if I had not been in such a rush um, and done it right the first time and done that crucial step of preparation, I would have saved myself time in the long run. So those are some of the three major reasons why going slower can actually speed things up. You're going to be discussing a lot about intuition because it's a, such a powerful force. But what is the difference between time in the physical and time in the spiritual realm? Yeah, great question. So in the physical world, it's linear, right? It's like, oh, A 
to B equals C. We, you know, we're going the straight line across. It's just like, oh, I turned 12 today. I turned 14. You know, we just look at it like that. Spiritual time is the measurement, not just of our age passing or events passing, but it's measured by the amount of wisdom or understandings that we gain. So, uh, uh, for example, it's the um, Aboriginal um, culture that I first looked at this idea that instead of celebrating a birthday, which really you don't have to do anything special to turn a new age, right? You just got to live another year. So rather than celebrating people's birthdays, they would begin to celebrate when somebody made a huge step, a huge leap forward in their spiritual growth. So the spiritual time is about how much wisdom a person has gained, how many changes, how much growth they can make within a realm of a period of time. So, for example, somebody could live 10 years and not learn anything, gain no wisdom, no understanding. Another person in one year could gain tons of wisdom, right? So uh, if we look at the symbol of a cross, the physical time is going across vertical and the spiritual is horizontal time. And so we can transcend the physical time and move upwards to the spiritual by focusing on gaining wisdom as opposed to just moving through our life. So it's it's really exciting because a lot of people get worried about age. Oh, I'm turning 50 or I'm turning 60. Well, it, it doesn't matter what age you are. What really matters is how much wisdom have you gained so far in your life. So that's the big distinction between the two. And Catherine, when we think of our ego, sometimes we think of it as the evil character in our lives. But ego is a, I want to say it's a, it's a nothing but a survival mechanism, isn't it? And we seem to ignore it sometimes, but sometimes we pay too much attention. The key is to tame it so we can smell the roses, as you, as you call it, and look around throughout our life's journey, right? Exactly. Yeah. The ego, it, you know, we, we can't kill it. We're never going to get rid of it. It's a part of ourselves. Um, and so the idea is to understand how it works, its motives, so that we can kind of override some of the ego things. You know, the ego is the one that wants us to, to go quick, get that next goal done, you know, keep us on that hamster wheel. Um, and so when, when we kind of understand that and you know, the ego, of course, does not want us to slow down, right, uh, to really get in touch with our true selves. So understanding that, we can kind of put it in its proper perspective. So the ego helps us um, relate to the physical world. And so when we align the personality, uh, that ego all, as well, with the soul's purpose, then it can serve us instead of, serve, you know, deter us from fulfilling our purpose. It seems most people abandon their desires when they don't manifest quickly. I'm not sure if it's ego saying, don't stop it because you're never going to get there. But we want immediate gratification these days. We want immediate results, no pain, no suffering. If we step back and, and realize that we truly manifest the thoughts we entertain, but it takes time, energy, and effort. Later in the interview, I'll share a personal story that proves this. But do you think this is very important? Oh, yes, because, um, you know, as I said, so many years of teaching students metaphysics and they, they practice the visualization and whatever it is they want to visualize doesn't happen within their time frame. And so then they give up. 
And so many, or they get really discouraged and depressed, or they abandon the metaphysical field altogether, thinking this doesn't really work. And and that's the saddest part because you know we we are spiritual beings having a physical experience, so we have, we abandon metaphysics or spirituality. We basically kind of abandon our true self, and so it's really important for people to have patience and understand the bigger scheme of things and why things may not be happening when we want. Sometimes we are maybe not doing the visualization process the way you know that it's outlined um, from the metaphysical perspective, but often case it's more our impatience. So you know, I had a friend who she had been. Uh, single for about 15 years and was getting so discouraged she wasn't going to meet her soulmate. And, you know, I kept encouraging her and saying, you know, don't let that that ego thought that you can't have what you want come in. There's probably reasons why you're on your own right now and spending some time by yourself. It's a great opportunity for self-development, etc. And she said, yeah, yeah, you're right. You know, she's very metaphysical. Um, and, you know, so about five years ago, she meets her soulmate, you know, so uh, it will happen as long as you stay true to the self and focus on the visualization. One of the things where people do kind of mess up the visualization process is they have a counter thought to what they want. So, for example, I may say, oh, you know, I want, uh, you know, a new sports car. And then I immediately in my conscious mind say, ah, you're never going to be able to afford that. Right there, I have negated my desire with that belief that I can't really have it because it's too expensive. So that is something for us to check ourselves with in terms of why a visualized desire is not happening. I was thinking of the concept of time, because obviously this is, when I say modern, I'm not talking about millions of years, but perhaps 1500 to 5000 BC, it was the Egyptians and the Babylonians that began measuring time you know, so that they could regulate cycles of planting, harvesting, uh, you know, shipping, public events, and also, but, but they did it in a different way. They measured it based on the period of daylight. It's important to have time so you can show up at an interview or, or, or you know, a, a, a groom that shows up, shows up at the wedding. But a lot of artists and, in, 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 you know, people like, say, let's say pick a Michelangelo. If, we had given him a time frame. You need to finish the Sistine Chapel in six months or a year or, you know, the statue in Florence. Do you think he could have done the same, you know, work of art? No, I think when we put deadlines, especially on creative endeavors, it really puts a damper on it and it causes the person then to become anxious, rush, and hence, like I said in the beginning, cut off that connection to the subconscious, which, you know, if we look at, you know, Michelangelo's works and so forth, it clearly seems that he was guided, directed by his inner self to, to do these amazing works. And so um, I think it, it does um, definitely put a damper on our creative abilities by giving ourselves a deadline. But you're absolutely right that because we are in the physical world, we do need time in terms of, you know, setting up a meeting date. You know, when do we plant? All those things. So time has its purpose. Uh, when we use it where it's needed, you know, like for an appointment, instead of saying you have to create this masterwork within two months, you know. But when you talk to the Native Americans or even, you know, natives around the world, the Aborigines in, in Australia, and you mentioned the concept of time, they all frown because they think this is just a, a Western world 
Uh, but again, it was the Egyptians and the Babylonians who did it. Why do you think that they have this concept of time in a very different fashion? They they don't like to be, you know, put in such a silo to show up at a certain time. They use daylight time in order to do that. I think they were more guided by spirit, honestly. Um, the, the more we get into the conscious mind and thinking about physical things only, the more time becomes our master. The more that we see ourselves as spiritual beings, we realize that there is an infinity guiding us. There is no limit that we have as many lifetimes as we need. And so that puts everything in a different perspective, like, hey, I don't need to rush. Um, also, when we connect with that spiritual part of ourselves, we begin to trust that there's more than this physical world. We're more than this body. And so that trust helps us know, you know, things will happen as they should. The more that we disconnect from that soul, that spirit, the less we trust, you know, because the physical world, everything's temporary. We can't trust anything in the physical. It could be here today, but gone tomorrow. So I think those ancient cultures were much more in tune with their spiritual essence. And I think today, in addition to everything else, we have the technology problem. You know, technology is everywhere and it's time bound, right? Oh, I got to get that post up on Facebook by 9 p.m., you know, or my daughter, she does Snapchat. Oh, I got to snap. I don't even know. What <laughs> you just read that. my mind. I was going to mention the Snapchat. I didn't mean to interrupt you. But I feel for the, the children these days that with Snapchat and that you left somebody open and you have to respond every day and your score goes down if you don't respond. Time is such a an important thing to these uh, the, this new generation. Oh, yeah. It's like, you know, they, they can't get away from it with it. Yeah, the snaps. And I remember my daughter was in tears one time because we had to take away her phone for some reason. and yeah. She was going to lose her, her stream. Right. Yeah, they are so bound by time. You know, whereas growing up in other generations, you know, we had a watch. You know, half the time we were playing outside till nine o'clock at night in the summer. We had no idea what time it was. We didn't have, you know, a phone to look at every two minutes. So um, technology is a big uh player in this focus on time. Back in our days, uh, the phone was attached to the wall. Now we are attached to the phones. But what do you mean when you say physical time is horizontal? I'm thinking you, you mean ABC linearly and spiritual yeah. time is vertical. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So spiritual, like when we take in wisdom, we move up, Right. Yeah, I did make a mistake. I meant to say it the way, other way around. So we, as we gain in understandings, uh, we could gain 15 understandings in one day. Whereas, you know, physical time is just, oh, an hour passed. Here I am. Oh, I'm a year older. Just going across A plus B equals C. You can't control that. But spiritual time is under our control because we can decide how many understandings and how much wisdom we are going to gain in a day, a month, a year, et cetera, the more that we focus on spiritual growth and growing as a person. So that makes it really exciting because you could have two people, you know, one person has lived 50 years and the other person 25, but that 25 year old could be way wiser than the 50 year old if they have been using their time for spiritual growth and so forth. That is so true. So yeah. I've spoken with children, children, 70 years old, and sometimes you talk to them and you can look in their eyes, you know, the whole concept of 
this person is an old soul, right? It makes so much more sense when I talk to some people. I could be talking to somebody who's 60 and there's no one there. They're a new soul. Uh, but you say you studied a spiritual community that didn't believe in celebrating birthdays. Which community was that? And I totally agree. We're born once and celebrating birthdays, nothing wrong with it, but it's almost as if we're program or programming every cell of our bodies to age. Should we measure time based on our experiences, lessons learned, and wisdom acquired? Or should should it be just be in chronological years or physical age? We seem to celebrate the passage of physical time, but we often do not celebrate the passage of spiritual learning. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and I don't think we need to cut out, you know, birthdays uh, because I'm, I'm an astrologer. So I do recognize that um, birthdays are significant and that uh, we have what's called a solar return um, where our astrological chart sets in motion a new set of energies on the day of your birth, you know, when our birthday comes around. So it does have some significance. However, I think also what we need to add to that uh, is what you just mentioned, you know, this idea of celebrating growth. And when somebody makes a big leap forward uh, or does something important, you know, like we celebrate a graduation, but that only happens maybe once or twice in a lifetime. But there's so many other milestones in terms of spiritual growth um, that we just simply don't really pay attention to. Um, You know, in the Mexican culture, uh, you know, they celebrate the quinceanera when somebody turns 15 supposed to be this big, you know, big thing. Um, but again, just based on an age, nothing more. So maybe the quinceanera, you know, takes place at a different age for different girls based on ready, when they're ready to come out into the world, so to speak. Um, so I think it's adding to what we celebrate as opposed to, you know, taking away and replacing. And by the way, I didn't mean not to celebrate birthdays, but I have no doubt that when we add a year or an additional candle to the cake, we're telling our bodies we're aging. We can say, well, chronologically, I'm such and such age. But if you, for example, in my mind, I'm always thinking I'm 35. I'm, th- I'm not 35. I'm 50. I'm going to be 55. But in my mind, I'm always staying with 35, which seems to be, I guess, the, the, the prime age for human beings, I've been told. So if you do that and you follow, for example, the work of Dr. Ellen Langer from Harvard, who in the 1970s, had a, uh, a study. She brought in a bunch of elderly uh, men and women into this set, almost like a Hollywood set. And the set had, you know, TVs and, and newspapers. And the whole decoration was from the 1940s or 50s. One week only, a lot of them lost their, their uh, eyeglasses, their reading glasses, their muscle mass improved, their health improved, just because they felt they were younger. See what I'm what I'm saying about time and age? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it it really is just a number. Deep back, Chopra is a big advocate of you know not focusing so much on your age, but um, miles. For example, my mom is eighty four, uh, and she had to have surgery a year ago. And we were talking to the surgeon. We said, well, geez, you know, are you kind of worried about doing surgery on her because she's eighty four? And he he kind of looked at us and laughed, and he said. Let me tell you, he said, I have patients half your mom's age that have more miles on their body than your mom. So the age to him was irrelevant. He was looking at her constitution and physical health um, as opposed to the fact that she was 84. Um, so I think a lot of you know doctors, people in the health field are realizing uh, we need to look beyond age and look at what's really the, the health of this person's body. 
Um, and so, and now, you know, with so many new supplements and superfoods, you know, people today who are 70 look like, you know, people who used to look like when they were, you know, 90. So we, we look a lot, uh, or, or I mean, people today, 70, uh, may look like they're 40, you know? Um, so I think we need to just forget the whole age thing and look at, you know, the wisdom that a person has and the actual health of their body, as opposed to the number of eight, you know, years they've lived. Are there any cultures that, rec- no, no, that makes a lot of sense. Are there any cultures that recognize when a person has made great strides in spiritual learning? Well, yeah, like I mentioned, the Aborigines, that's where I first thought about that idea of instead of celebrating birthdays or, you know, in addition to celebrating birthdays, let's celebrate when somebody in our tribe makes a huge leap of growth. And I was like, that is so cool. Um, and imagine if people knew they were going to get a big celebration if they grew spiritually, <laughs> there'd be more emphasis on that, right? It'd be like, hey, you know, and, and sometimes in school they get incentives. Oh, if you get an A on this test, you're going to get some candy or, you know, free time, whatever. Um, but do we do that in terms of spiritual growth? You know, no. That would I get- think that... That would be a great goal when we celebrate birthdays. If we are celebrating a birthday, we should in our minds make an inventory of what we have learned and the wisdom we've acquired in the past year. As opposed to just, uh, well, I got a race, I uh, bought a new car, I traveled to this place. But have you, do you consider yourself wiser and what have you done to get there? If we did that, we we would get ready to prepare for the next year. And the plans would totally change, I think. Uh, yeah, I think that's a great idea, Mel. Totally. So let's talk about triggers and what does karma, the universal law of cause and effect in action, have to do with it? So, um, yeah, karma is a word that's used so frequently, and yet there's so many different understandings of what it really means, so many different viewpoints. So the way I look at karma is it's basically a set of balances, right? And it's where you're imbalanced. Or if we look at it as a bank account, it's where your bank account's a little low (laughs) and you need to fill it up. So karma is basically um, the understandings you still need to give to yourself. Um, So you could look at it as lessons, right? Or areas where you lack experience. Edgar Cayce referred to karma as basically a set of beliefs and attitudes that guide you. And so typically there are beliefs and attitudes that are limiting or that are not correct. And so that is basically what keeps us coming back to the physical world, incarnating in these bodies, because we have karma. In other words, we have some things we still need to learn. We have some deficits in our bank account. We need to fill up our spiritual bank account, that is. Um, And so we can measure time. Uh, talking about this idea of, you know, celebrating when we gain wisdom. Well, when we overcome some karmic challenge, right, when we gain the awareness that we were lacking, we've made some spiritual leaps, right? And so we grow uh, vertically in spiritual time. And so we all have periods in our life where it's just kind of humdrum, right? Not a lot's happening, just going in day by day. But then we'll have some kind of event or what I call a trigger, right? 
let's say, for example, my life's just kind of humdrum going along. And then all of a sudden, boom, uh, I have a big car accident and I broke both my legs. And now I'm laid up in bed for, you know, three months or something like that. That's a trigger. And it was some kind of wake up call. And so it's going to cause me to look at some areas of my life. Of course, if I can't be busy and running around everywhere and I'm stuck in bed, I got these broken legs. Uh, I'm going to do some learning. It triggered me to, to look at myself. Right. Um, and then I make, so I make some new discoveries about myself, et cetera, over the next couple of months. And then boom, I'm, I'm back into my regular life. I get the cast taken off. So I believe a lot of times that we can measure our life by the triggers, right? So maybe that happens, the, the car accident happens January 1st of 2021. And it lasts until, you know, I get my cast off in, let's say, um, end of March. So that's the period of a trigger right there. And oftentimes when we look at our life, we measure it by the triggers. We don't say, oh, yeah, my life started, you know, when I was born. We can't go through all the details, but we often measure our life by the big events. And many of those big events are triggers. And now not all triggers are bad. For example, you know, we say, oh, yeah, nothing much happened in my life until I was 18 and I met my husband. Right. And then we got married. And boy, that set me off on a whole new track. And so from zero to 18, it's like measure that part of our life. And then the marriage from 18 till, you know, 23. And then I have my first child at 23. And then we begin a new phase. So it's what we have people do in our classes is we do a timeline uh, to have people look at the periods in their life when they were learning the most when they were happiest, when they feel like they were really growing spiritually. And it's really interesting because in almost all instances, uh, it's set off by some kind of trigger, the periods where they were growing a lot and really enjoying life. And so as souls, uh, I believe that we're like a seed and we're going to turn in, let's say, you know, a little oak tree we're going to grow into this big oak tree and so within that little seed we have set out a plan for our growth and development how is it going to roll out what ages are going to be significant when are we going to introduce triggers to wake us up and get us on the path and that's like our whole timeline for existence so as as an astrologer you know we typically work in a period of a year. We say, this is what's going to happen the next year for you. But I've always thought it would be so cool from the moment of birth to kind of map out that soul's entire plan of looking at when are the big events going to fall for that person. So that's why um, I think looking at triggers and, you know, the karma together uh, are a great way to understand our life and the timeline that we're going to live. Do you think we are dealing with karma only in this present incarnation or could karma be left over from past incarnations oh i think definitely both we come into this lifetime with karma from past lives that's you know why we incarnate again because we still had some things we didn't learn um and then as we're in this body um we weave these webs <laughs> and we often get ourselves in further messes where we have to learn something um, so it's, 
karma left over from past lives, as well as things that we create in the present existence. Give us some examples of triggers and how to deal with them. Um, so how to deal with triggers. What was the first part of the question? No, just give us some examples of, of triggers. You mentioned accident, and you're so right, because I'm thinking, I had a near-death experience in 1982, for example, and after that accident, I made different choices that improved my life, and I wonder, had I not had that accident, if I would be here right now doing what I do? Yes, yeah, very interesting, wow. Um, so yeah, near death experience would definitely count as a trigger, um, meeting somebody significant, uh, whether this is going to be a love interest, whether this is going to be a business partner, uh, but people change our lives in great ways. So people are one of our biggest triggers. Um, health issues are triggers. Um, we often get many wake up calls from our physical body. Um, that's a trigger. Um, and I think in the realm of career, uh, jobs, bosses, the whole realm of how we put ourselves forward into the world is a trigger. Um, so I think those are some of the biggies. I know the concept of time is important, as I said, in order to operate within the constraints of the modern world. Arriving late at a job can get you fired. Not completing a project on time may cost you money. Not showing up on a time at your wedding, etc. You get my point. Again, you know, all these things that put us in this modern society, you know, how do we remove ourselves from that without affecting our societal expectations? So because we, we are physical beings and we've chosen to live through this experience of physicality, um, I don't think that it serves us to completely remove ourselves from the structure of time where it, where I do think, you know, we need to let go a little bit and remove ourselves um, is when we're really honed in on our gifts and talents. And when, you know, we were talking about Michelangelo and painting the Sistine Chapel and so forth. I think when it comes to our gifts and talents and when we're serving somebody with our gifts and talents, that's where I think we need to completely let go and say, I am trusting that, the development of my talents will come as needed. And if I'm working, if my talent is to heal people, for example, I cannot be rushed or have a time limit. We, you know, we've seen in Western medicine what that looks like, right? You wait an hour and you get to see the doctor for five minutes and he doesn't understand your problem. He's got to see the next patient. You don't get healed, etc. So that's an example where uh, if you're, for example, if your gift is serving another in a form of healing, you cannot be attached to time and say, okay, I've got 10 minutes to heal this person. We have to trust that however much time it's going to take to work with this person, that's okay. Um, and if the person needs to come back for a second visit or, or whatever, um, and that's where the intuition comes in. You know, uh, unfortunately, our medical system has become so centralized, it's hard for doctors to have their own practice and to be their own boss. They're working under all these hospital rules that are time-oriented. Right. But I think in true healers, uh, the best ones are the ones that have their own practice that can kind of intuit uh, how much time they're going to need to spend with each person and to be able to schedule accordingly. Um, some people paint portraits, and they can't specify how long it's going to take. Um, one of my talents is 
as an astrologer. And I tell people, uh, I don't have a time limit. I don't know how long your chart's going to take. I can give you an estimate, you know, anywhere from 50 minutes to two hours. Uh, but every chart's different. Every person needs something different. So I don't base my my service on time price. You know, I don't say, well, the first hour is this and that. I just have a set price and I say however much time we need, that's what it takes. Um, so that's where um, it's super important to to let go of the time constraints. But in terms of, you know, meetings, you know, planting schedules, you know, it, it serves us and serves others. So I, I, I don't abandon it. And I do have time as a structure in my life for that reason. You say that one of the main benefits of transcending physical time is that it helps slow the aging process, which is something we're very interested in. When we access the subconscious mind, we utilize the non-physical energies that help us rejuvenate the mind and body. Please explain. So um, when we get caught up in, oh my gosh, I've got another wrinkle or blah, 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 uh, we just kind of reinforce that we're physical beings and there's nothing we can do about it, that time is going to pass and it's going to cause us to wrinkle and get old. However, if we see ourselves as spiritual beings and that we are all powerful and knowing that when we are doing what we love, focused on being healthy, um, we can sit out in the sun for hours and not have to worry about, you know, becoming just a bag of wrinkles. Um, when we're attuned to the soul and living our purpose, we will look young and feel young. It's when we get off track, we become bored, we start focusing only on physical things, and we disalign from our purpose. That's when we begin to age because we're not happy. We're not engaged. We're not vibrant. So we all know that some of the people who live some of the longest lives are those who are very much aligned with their purpose. And we've all met people who are not aligned with their purpose, and they look like they're 90 years old when they're only 60. And they're just kind of waiting on time to die because they have no purpose. So that's what really ages people, I believe, is being stuck in the physical world, not realizing that you have a purpose, that you're a spiritual being. Um, because, you know, I have a great friend who runs a place called the Light Center. And she's 76 years old. And this woman runs circles around some people I know who are in their 20s in terms of what she does in a day. But what she has created is her purpose, this light center, and she loves it, and she's so happy doing it. She works, you know, 12-hour days on her, you know, mission, uh, whereas other people are tired and sitting on the couch after five hours of work in their 20s. So um, I think the key is aligning with the soul, and when you do that, you are on purpose. You cannot be aligned with your soul and not know what your purpose is. Um, and when you're aligned with the soul, you want to do your purpose. And that is what keeps us healthy and young, way more than any vitamin or mineral can ever do for us. And it's important to know how to discover the, the, the purpose or, or your mission here. I will discuss that later. But here's something I've been practicing for a long time. Brainwave music, gamma, beta, beta, alpha, theta, and delta. Dr. Jeffrey Thompson and uh, Stephen Halpern. Halpern that uh, come to mind. Can you discuss the benefits of listening to music or meditating with these waves? Oh, yes. I am a big fan of the brainwave music, the binaural beats, I think is, is what sure, we focus exactly. on. And yeah, that music has the ability to is it synchronize the right and the left brain. 
which brings us balance, kind of like um, the brain gym activities. Um, but yeah, the music is key um, because we need tools in today's age to help us slow down, you know, because we, what we talked about, we're fighting against the technology, the, um, the Wi-Fi rays everywhere, all this kind of stuff. So to have a guide, a tool like brainwave music is fabulous to help us slow down. And again, slow is the new fast. If we rush through life and we're constantly racing around, that can age us too, right? If we're running ourselves ragged like a chicken with its head cut off, that stress can wear us down. But people who can still get things done, but by being calm, slowing down with that brainwave music will slow down the aging process. Um, and I think it's so much more difficult these days with so much going on to quiet the mind that I find when I meditate with the music, it's much, I go much deeper in my meditation. I have something to follow. And the thoughts that come, it's easier to let them just pass through me as opposed to get stuck on the thoughts. I'm focusing on the music. So I think it's a, a great tool for people to use. And Stephen Halpern is, yes, one of the amazing um, musicians, and I love his stuff. I was trying to find an article where you were saying that. Years ago, I discussed all of this. When doing meditation, there was a study done showing people before and after, just a 30-day period. And 100% of them, if you look at their, their photographs, they seem to have become younger. It's it's unbelievable. If you look at the pictures, less wrinkles, happier faces, their skin tone. What do you think? What What is the physical attribute of meditating that causes that into someone's body? Well, uh, just from the physiological perspective, their brain waves are slowing down, which allows the body to rejuvenate. So normally when we sleep, you know, we, we shift our consciousness so the brain waves slow naturally as we sleep. And when the brain waves are slow, we don't have to focus on outer stimuli. We can focus on rejuvenating the body. So I think that's one reason in meditation we slow the brain waves so we can actually rejuvenate the body in addition to rejuvenating during sleep. Um, the second thing that happens in meditation is we get to hear the soul, the subconscious, the spirit, whatever you want to call it, our intuition. We get to hear those messages and act on them. So we get aligned to what we came here for, right? Um, so those are two huge reasons why I think that meditation um, can really help us slow down the aging process. Uh, it's a fabulous um, practice. And even if you can't do it every day, even just three or four times a week will make such a huge difference. Um, so, yeah, that, that's, I think that just plain and simple, uh, those are the reasons. Why do we blame others for this low pace of our manifestations? Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, well, it, it's human nature. When, when something isn't going our way, first thought is, ah, it's this person's fault. We always want to point the finger at somebody else. And so, you know, oh, it's Amazon's fault they didn't get my delivery here. <laughs> you know, oh, it's my husband's fault. He's, he's late, etc. Um, and that just plays into the whole thing about who's really in charge. It's a way to victimize ourselves. In other words, when I blame somebody else, I'm basically saying, well, um, I don't have enough creative ability to create. I'm subject to this other person. And hence, I'm a victim. So if the other person made me late, I'm the victim, right? Um, and it's just such a common uh, attitude or 
practice for people to want to blame the others. Um, but really, uh, we are always responsible for everything that happens in our life. We always play a part in it. And we can always choose how we're going to respond to something. So you may say, yes, I, you know, oh, it's getting dark out and now I can't study uh, because I don't have any electricity. And so I'm going to blame the the universe, you know. Um, there are certain things we don't have control over, but we do have control over how we respond to things. So let's say I don't have electricity. I live off on some island and uh, lights go out at eight o'clock when the sun goes down and then it's done. Well, rather than getting mad and, you know, oh, now I can't read my book or do my homework or whatever I'm supposed to do, it's, I can respond differently and say, oh, well, maybe now that it's dark, I could sit in peace and meditate and calm my mind. And that's another way of studying for my test, for example, if that's what I was doing. Or if I was writing a book and now I can't because there's no light, I could say, well, now I'm going to go into meditation. I'm going to see if there's any more ideas that come to me about the book that I'm writing. Um, so even if we cannot control something, we can always control our response to what is happening. And then we are not a victim. And that is probably one of the most important aspects uh, to all this research. Now, here's something I'd like to ask you. When we're ready to play a musical instrument that needs to be tuned, let's say a guitar. If we don't properly tune the guitar, the song won't sound right. And if, it, if we, let's say we tune it in the wrong sound frequency, say A440 hertz instead of A432 hertz, it may have a different effect. Does this apply to our desires and goals? In other words, do we have to tune ourselves in vibrational harmony with the desire or the goal? Oh, exactly. Exactly. That's a huge point. So Abraham Hicks was somebody who I think really drove this point home that for most of us, the desire has already manifested. The problem is we are not in vibrational harmony with that desire. And so the universe is just waiting for us to get in alignment with the desire so that we can have it. Um, so, you know, a simple example is, uh, let's say I want to meet a man who is um, outgoing and wealthy and fun, and I'm depressed. Every day I wake up and I say, oh, life sucks. Uh, I don't have any money. I'll never be rich, right? I am in complete opposite of the vibration of the person that I want to draw to myself. How is that going to happen? I'm going to be repelling that person instead of attracting him or her because we attract what we are. Yeah, that's what you attract. That's what you attract. Somebody who doesn't have money, somebody who's not going to treat you well, that's what you're attracting by keeping that mindset. Exactly. Yes, yeah. So the mindset is huge, hugely uh, important. And all the senses, you know, we can intellectually say, oh, I'm thinking myself abundant so I can attract wealth. But if we don't feel it at the core, we're not going to attract it. So I think in our visualization, we really have to use all five senses. What does it feel like to be abundant and wealthy? What does it smell like? What does it taste like? And then we get the full being into it and we resonate with that vibration much quicker than if we just try to think it intellectually. I think a great example of this is the rain dance that some native tribes practice. I'm told that when they dance, Catherine, they really, they're not wishing for rain. They dance and imagine it's raining already. They're matching the frequency of rain falling on their skin. And that apparently has a, an effect, an electrical effect that creates 
the rain. Have you looked into this phenomenon? I haven't, but it sounds fascinating. So it's the same thing if you're sitting down and thinking, visualizing, I want to see myself married to such and such person. I want to see myself, you know, being an entrepreneur or having this promotion. If you see yourself, the end result, the conceptual image, that alone, it's almost like if you're sending a message to the universe and the universe conspires to make it happen. Yes, yes. And I also, uh, you know, when people have trouble doing that, something that's worked for me is an image. So I remember years ago, I was still in my teens and dreaming of, you know, one day being a writer. And I was looking through this uh, French magazine and they had this six page article with tons of pictures, images of this uh, writer. Uh, she had she lived in this old chateau and just had a very offbeat, different life. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that's what I want to be like. <laughs> right. Like I resonated with this person and how she lived this offbeat life in these stores. So I, I cut the pages out and I have kept that until this day. I had it. You know, I found it when I was cleaning out some drawers. I was like, oh, my God, I hadn't looked at it in a while. But that image and I'm sure her energy was in that article because she was who I wanted to become one day. Um, and oftentimes when we see a movie. There'll be images or something like, oh, I, I want to be like that. And if we can capture that image in our mind and remember it, that can be very powerful. I like the example that you include in your book, Ed, of, again, Palm Grout, the author of E Squared and E Cubed. Now, you mentioned briefly, but tell us of her story and about the original book titled Gut Never Has a Bad Hair Day. Yeah. So, you know, her famous book, E Squared, which, you know, was um, a number one list for I don't know how long, but she first wrote that book and it was originally called God has a bad hair day or God never has a bad hair day. And, uh, you know, she sent it around a bunch of publishers, zip, nothing. So she thought, okay, well, I'm just going to put it on the bookshelf. So she did. And then several years later, for some reason, she took the book out and kind of dusted it off and, um, changed the title up a little bit and, didn't really edit much. It was pretty much the same content, she said. Submitted it to Hay House, and boom, they accepted it, and the rest is history. So the big question is, well, what changed? Because the book was the same, but she changed. So that, that's fascinating. And honestly, the same thing happened to me. My first book, uh, Soul Choices, Six Paths to Find Your Life Purpose, I sent it around to well, at least 100 uh, different publishers got rejected by them all. So I thought, okay, I'm just going to self-publish now. Self-published it for I think I was on my own for two to three years. Um, sold quite you know over a thousand copies. Um, and then it was about three years later, and a friend said, "Hey, have you heard of Ozark Mountain Publishing?" I said, "No, I couldn't believe I hadn't heard of them because I, I thought I researched all the publishers up and down." So we should submit the book. I thought, well, okay, submitted the book got the call. We love your book. We want to publish it. And that changed everything for me in terms of getting myself out there more, you know, writing five more books that got published by them. So what changed? It was the same book. So something in me must have changed over those years. And I often think too, sometimes we're not ready, right? We think we are. I mean, how many times, you know, do I ask people, uh, and you know, maybe they got married when they were 30 and they're like, Oh, I wish I'd met this guy when I was 20. I say, 
do you really think at age 20 you were ready for that guy in that relationship? And when we get honest with ourselves and when they do, they usually say, well, no, <laughs> I can say the same thing. I didn't get married till I was you know, 35. It's like, oh, God, all those years, I wish I'd met this guy sooner. But then I think, no, I had to go through a lot of self-growth and development before I was ready for him. So interesting. Well, let's talk about intuition, the guidance that comes from our higher self or subconscious mind. And therefore, it always acts in our best interest. I will never steer us wrong. Is the ego the enemy of our intuition, Catherine? In other words, we're supposed to listen to our intuition, but sometimes we get this voice. I remember, you probably remember cartoons growing up. There's this little devil on one side, little angel on the other side telling you what to do. And you, as a person, you wrestle as to which one you should listen, uh, you know, to get this voice in your head uh, to ignore either or. Is that our ego playing games on us? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Um, and, you know, a, a, an example is, you know, some people suffer from inferiority complex where the ego thinks it's less than, right? And so if I'm, uh, my intuition says, hey, you know, go apply for that job. And I have an inferiority complex. My ego is going to say, you'll never get that job. Don't even bother. So I don't. Or I could have a superiority complex. I think I'm too good. So again, a job comes up and my intuition says, hey, you should apply. And my ego says, I'm too good for that. $20 an hour. Huh, I'm worth $40 an hour. Um, so the ego very much can get in the way of our intuition, um, which is why we need to find ways to clear it away and get in touch with the intuition. We've talked about meditation as one method. Um, I would add that uh, intuitive breathing, which goes by many different names, liberation breathing, a rebirthing breath work, that is a great way to get out of your mind, right? Out of your head, out of your ego, into the real you, where the intuition is full, right? And we can hear it clearly. Um, some people have an easier time superseding that ego than others. But all of us, I think, need some tools to surpass that ego that wants to steer us another way. Is it safe to say the older we get, the more we tune ourselves to listen to our intuition or gut feeling? Um, I Well, my experience has shown me and most people that yes, uh, but I don't want to make a blanket statement and say that, yeah, you know, younger people have a more of a problem getting in touch with their intuition than older people. Um, but I think over the years we become wiser. We look back at our life and we notice all the instances when we did listen to the gut, the intuition. You know, a young person at 18 doesn't have much experience to look back on and to say, oh, my intuition guided me, you know. But when we're 50 years old, we can say, oh, yeah, I think of all the times my intuition guided me. So we have we've built up more of a relationship with that inner self. So we trust it more. Um, and we know the ways of the world you know, and that the outer world becomes less important typically as we age, right? We um, see that it's temporary and that what really matters are the things of the soul, right? Uh, people, um, experiences, wisdom matter much more than the money and the physical things. And all those things are more related to our intuitive side. Um, there's more of an urge to, to kind of slow down and be quiet. You know, at 18, we have all the energy. We just want to go full blast. When we're 50, you know, it's more like, oh, I'm okay sitting down for a while, taking an in-breath. And, and that's when we can get in touch with the intuition. So I think all those reasons uh, do typically 
show that the older we are, the easier, more open we are to the intuition. Speaking of intuition, I mentioned at the beginning of the program that I had a story to tell. And I have learned to use my intuition and it doesn't fail at all, Catherine. It's almost like you're honing into this ability. You know, this radio program originated from intuition and, and visualizing and following it and, and removing all doubt. And most recently, I wanted to sell a business, uh, which I've owned for almost 25 years. One Saturday morning, my intuition literally said to me to sit down and make 100 phone calls out of the blue. Just get just get this picture in my mind of sitting down, calling 100 places. And here's the interesting part about how these thoughts come to mind. It's not words. It's not instruction. It's the whole concept in a mental picture. Well, I sat down, made 100 calls, which is the equivalent of sending your message out to the universe or, or the ether. I had no expectations. And a few days later, I received one call, just one call. A month later, they bought the business. So you have to, you know, somebody else would have said, gosh, you know, it's been three days, not a single phone call, or I'm only getting one call. I'm going to just, I'm just going to skip it. It's not going to happen. As you said, the ego, if you feel less than, you're not going to trust your instinct. So how do we identify or get in tune with our life's mission? Wow. So, so that's a big question. And there's many valid ways to do that. Uh, I'll tell you my method, um, which is using six paths or what I call intuitive sciences, astrology, numerology, palmistry, iris analysis, family birth order, and past lives. Wow. So I believe that our purpose is twofold. One, develop our gifts and talents and offer them to the world. And number two, the karma, learning our lessons, adding those areas where we lack experience, right? Get experience in those and add that to ourselves. So both of those, we're working on giving gifts as well as mastering lessons. So these six paths that I just mentioned all do an amazing job of showing what are our potential gifts and talents? What are our weak points? That's all they really do. Any any, any of these that you look at, some of them do, you know, kind of give an overview of your personality. And then apart from that, even within that, they show what are your strengths, what are your weaknesses in, in terms of your personality. And so we go through all six of those paths to really see all sides of ourselves, strengths, weaknesses. And our purpose then is to do those two things. And so I think it's really hard uh, just intuitively to come up with all that information on our own, right? And even if we do, we often don't trust it. But doing these intuitive sciences, doing the charts, validates often what intuitively we felt, but we didn't want to trust it. So I can't tell you how many times in my classes people say, oh, this is right on. Well, it's really validating what I already thought I was you know, good at. And I'm like, great, now you'll trust it more and actually do something with it. Um, like when I had my first astrology reading in my early 20s, um, the astrologer said, well, you know, I, I see you doing something with Hollywood. And I, I about fell off the chair because ever since I was young, I had this idea of writing screenplays and I would write, sit down and get an idea and write a screenplay, this dialogue and all this. I thought, well, that's ridiculous. Like, who am I to write, you know, a screenplay? But when she said that, it validated this desire that I had. And so I'd never abandoned it. And I 
taken classes and gone on to write several screenplays. Have yet to sell one, but I know it's coming, right? I'm trusting it's all about the timing. Um, and so that is the power of using those six tools. Now, another way to align with your purpose um, is to meditate and hear the inner voice. Um, those are the, the two ways. Uh, prayer, um, you know, asking. Asking for the guidance in prayer is another valid way uh, to align with your purpose. There's many aptitude tests out there which help partly because those aptitude tests will show what we're good at, right? Uh, but they don't often show what our karmic lessons are, right? You know, the um, Myers-Briggs and all that. They show our, our passion or what we're good at. But we'll, the other part of our purpose is to figure out the blind spots. So um, those have a limited uh use in my opinion um so that is uh, my take on life purpose we'll look at uh, the story of jk rowling she was uh, an exceptionally short-lived she had a exceptionally short-lived marriage that imploded she was jobless a lone parent and poor and all of a sudden the universe basically told her start writing these stories writing these stories and she is the the first billionaire author in history i believe isn't she? Yeah, hers is a great story. And um, I love that you brought that up because one of the things that I use to motivate myself as well as others is I, I say, you know, let's create a, a sentence. Pick one of your heroes. Let's say it's J.K. Rowling. And so we would write a sentence like, if J.K. Rowling uh, can sell billions of copies and of her books and have them translated in all world languages, then I can blank. So we take an out a person, a regular person, you know, uh, like Wim Hof, for example. He's done some amazing things. I say, if Wim Hof can hike Mount Everest in a bathing suit, I surely can sell one screenplay or whatever. So we see, well, yeah, like these people aren't gods. They're people like me. If they can do something incredible, I can. And I think it's a real motivating factor because sometimes we think, oh, well, they're special or they were born under a special planet. No. They're just like us, but they listen to that intuition. Exactly. We have to take a one and only intermission, but how can people buy the book, Time, The Second Secret? And when we come back, we have so much more to share with the audience, a lot of teachings that you're going to impart upon us. How can people buy the book? And all you have other books too, right? Yes. Yeah, so Time, The Second Secret um, can be purchased through Ozark Mountain Publishing. That's www. Ozark MT from Mountain, OzarkMT.com or Amazon. And all my other books uh, can be purchased through Amazon.com. Dolores Cannon left us a great legacy with Ozark Mountain Publishing. I always remember my talks with Dolores. I always think of her. But we're here with Catherine Andrews. One more hour to go. This is Mel Hasselrick, and you are listening to Veritas. See you in the member section. Thank you for listening to the first part of this important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest and all of our material, proceed to the member section or join the Veritas family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Subscribe today with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focus Life Force Energy. Get a 15-day free trial of FLFE today. We also have rebounders, pure organic sulfur, flash drives with all our Veritas and Sanitas seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, 
want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share the video. Click on the notification button to be alerted when new interviews are available. Now, proceed to the member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Thank you for listening to Veritas. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know.